0: Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmaty, brought to you by lisatarmaty.com. Lisa Tarmaty, your host here at Pushing the Limits. Super excited that you're here with me again today. Thanks for tuning in. I do love and appreciate your loyalty and I would love to hear from you if you've got something to say about the podcast you've got some comments some questions about some of the topics that we have raised then please do reach out to us um, we love hearing from our listeners and if you can give us a rating and review if you're enjoying the content that really really helps the show. Um, we've also got our patron VIP premium membership now open. If you love our show if you love what we do, what we stand for our values, our principles, the work that we put into this podcast which you have been doing now for five and a half years without any – uh, money or any, just for the love of it and for the passion on it of it. If you want to help support us and keep this going and want to get a whole lot of premium membership benefits, then head over to patron.lisatarmati.com I would love you to join our VIP tribe. That's patron.lisa.tarmiti.com for the price of about a coffee a day or a little bit more. You can be involved. Um, there's two tiers in there with different levels of premium be- member benefits, and we would love you to to join. Us there, so if you can, please do. Now today's superstar is Dr. Elizabeth Yirth, and if you follow the podcast, you might have remember that name because she was on just a few weeks ago, and she is now one of my favourite teachers. I have been learning from her at the Bold Longevity. Uh, Institute uh, Human Optimization Academy and she is a brilliant teacher and a a brilliant orthopedic surgeon and longevity experts and she offers the world's most advanced research-based healthcare and it's all like customised to you and the information that we're going to share with you today, today's topic if you like, is all around mitochondrial health. Now we do deviate a little bit because as we do in these conversations we go off on a few tangents but it is really all about understanding What your mitochondria are, why you need to know about it, how to keep them healthy, because these little uh, bacteria, if you like, and these little powerhouses of ourselves are absolutely crucial to health and longevity. And Dr. Yearth says that the mitochondria, she thinks, are at the very basis of all diseases. So when these little guys go awry, that's when diseases come into play. And everything from cancer to chronic fatigue to, you know, all of the diseases right across the spectrum can be affected by mitochondrial health. So we do a bit of a deep dive into that today. Um, so I hope you enjoy this session with Dr. Elizabeth Youth. She's a lady who walks the talk. She's an incredibly um, amazing person, athlete, Orthopedic surgeon. She, she lives this. She breathes this. The way she lives is, um, you know, in complete alignment with what she also teaches. So make sure you check out all her links in the show notes. Right. Uh, now, before we go over to the show, just want to also let you know about our NMN, our supplement, is our longevity and anti aging supplement. We are into longevity. <laughs> we are into health span. We are into increasing our lifespan and our health span. So If you want to get into having uh, to boosting your NAD levels in your body, we've recently done a couple of episodes with Dr. Alina Seranova on this topic, then head over to nmnbio.nz and grab your NMN supplements over there to get your longevity regime underway. And in today's podcast, we talk a little bit about this. We talk also about spermidine, which we've also mentioned in another podcast. There are some amazing compounds out there that are going to help us stay healthier and longer and there's a lot of techniques and things that we can actually engage in we don't have to be passive bystanders to our aging we can do things about it we can slow it down and even reverse it in some cases. so i hope you enjoy this episode so do check out my longevity supplement over at nmnbio.nz and enjoy today's show with dr elizabeth Youth. Well hi everyone and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. Super excited to have another wonderful guest that we've actually had on before and back by popular demand. It was a very, very popular episode. So I have Dr. Elizabeth Yuth with me. Hi Dr. Yuth, how are you doing?
1: Hey Lisa, thank you for having me again. I love meeting with you.
0: Oh, it's just uh, that our last episode was just so full of information that I've, I've had it on uh, repeat going for, for me, <laughs> because there's so much in there and so many people have written and, and have been asking questions. So I want to get started by saying, if after this interview, you want to talk to Dr. You and one of her team at the Boulder Longevity Institute, you can do that. Even when you're in New Zealand or Australia, you can do telecom. Consults, and yep. um, yeah. So if you are facing some difficult uh, health problem and you really want some help, make sure you do that. And we'll have all the links in the show notes and so on. And before we get underway, there is the Boulder Longevity op- uh, what is it called? Um, optimization hum- human, optimization. Yeah, human
1: Optimization Academy, right? Yeah. So, you so can link yeah, to it from the Boulder Longevity site, or just go to uh, bli.academy.com and sign up. But you guys, yeah, definitely sign up for that. We actually are trying to really put together tons and, you know, all, all the information you guys need to try and, you know, have one place where you can go get all of these things that we talk about, and you know, all the things that Lisa talks about and really be able to learn about them. Because as we know, doctors don't really learn this stuff very well. So you guys have to do it yourselves. And so we're trying to give you a place to do that. <laughs>
0: and it's coming from a, a very experienced doctor. <laughs> this is, yeah. And if you want on the, on the latest, so make sure, dot. Uh, and I'll put that in the show notes too, guys, so you can find it. Now today's subject is mitochondria, one of Dr. Yu's favourite subjects. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for starters, what is a mitochondria? This <laughs> is what's really so cool about mitochondria,
1: right? Is they're actually they were actually their own little bacteria. So they invaded us back when we were kind of moving from an anaerobic to an aerobic environment. So when we went from sort of anaerobic organisms to actually living in air, Mm -hmm. we couldn't do it. And so these little bacteria got into the cells and they formed a symbiotic relationship so that we could survive outside of water in air. And so they were responsible for us being able to move out of the ocean into an air or an aerobic environment. Wow. So they're actually their own little organisms. They're That's little what's so bacteria. cool, right? I mean, that, that, it's weird, right, <laughs> that we have this essential part of our cell now, our essential part of survival is actually its own organism. And, and it was a little one-felt organism. It got into a form of symbiotic relationship. It allowed the, the bacteria to survive living inside our cells and it allowed our cells to survive. So amazing. And that's why they're so unique is that they actually contain a whole genome that is separate oh, from your nuclear wow. genome, right? Wow. So they have a mitochondrial genome that's completely different. And it's only inherited from your mother. So it, that mitochondrial genome is, is not inherited from your father at all. It's probably one of the reasons your mother's health at the time, because because even though the mitochondria has its own genome, that genome's impacted by things you do. Wow. So if I have a baby and I'm super unhealthy, I've altered that mitochondrial genome and then I've transferred that mitochondrial genome only for me. Wow. So even if my the dad was great and doing everything right. To my children, so that's so an
0: epigenetic. Of, uh, so, because I'm just about to go through IVF, as I said before, right? So, very interesting for me. So, even though I, I'm going to have an egg donor, um, and the want to make sure she's healthy, right? Yeah, she yeah she is, and we've, we've got her on everything. Um, <laughs> the her DNA is coming into the egg, but actually, my mitochondria will be a part of this baby if we have one.
1: Is that right? Well, so if, so it's. So you will alter. So basically, you're going to be the baby will have her mitochondrial DNA, but because you will be growing this baby, you will be altering that mitochondrial DNA by epigenetic influences that you're doing. Ah, Right. So now you're going to be changing some of that DNA structure or the 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 genome of that mitochondria by things you're doing. The mitochondria um so so you know even though it's just coming in and again you want her to come in with this great mitochondrial dna in the first place right so we want this good gen- genome in the first place which is why you do want her to be healthy and fit and all those things but and younger yep. helps right, Unfortunately. Um, so-, <laughs> <or proportionally> right. <laughs> um, so so but then you yeah you you know all about ep- the epigenetics epigen- and so you're going to be potentially altering some of that too um so that's you know so that's one of the really amazing things now what we used to think is All the mitochondria did was do oxidative phosphorylation and -hmm. make energy, make ATP. Make ATP. And that's what they did. They were our energy powerhouses. That's all we ever learned, right? High school, it was like, oh, the powerhouse of the cell. Yeah. So we now know they do a, a whole lot more than that. So they're not just responsible for aerobic metabolism and making ATPs. And they're not just energy production and in fact there's a communication back and forth between the nucleus of our cells and these mitochondrial mitochondrial dna that's imperative to health wow and i'm going to make the case that actually every single disease from cancer to cardiovascular disease everything related to aging osteoporosis everything comes down to mitochondrial dysfunction wow right so this is pretty oh. important topic. <laughs> it's pretty important. It's, it's it's imperative and I and and you're going to start reading more about this is that is that the key to fixing our health is going to be fixing the mitochondria. Yeah. And we've yeah. already figured out like you know you, I know you're big in the NAD that you know the mm-hmm. um you know improving NAD and I know you have a product that does that and um and that is that's critical right to mitochondrial health. We know that that's critical to mitochondrial health. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's more to that story. Yeah. Yep. And you know The big thing is that is that piece of communication that mitochondria sends messages out to the the nucleus nucleus, and the nucleus sends messages back to
0: the mitochondria. Okay. So what are these messages that are sending backwards and forwards and what does this have to do with the function of the mitochondria itself?
1: So there's as the body goes through the oxidative phosphorylation pathway, that that Krebs cycle, that cycle that makes that makes energy, right? Yep. We know that we create these free radicals. And, and that's been one of the big theories of aging is this free radical theory of aging. That mm-hmm. mitochondria produce all these free radicals as yep. the free radicals overwhelm damage. the body, they damage the cells, and we get damage to our, to our DNA. Mm.
0: And so we, we all thought we, that antioxidants
1: would be the answer back in the, the day. Answer. right. We just yeah. take, throw a bunch of antioxidants into the mix and you're going to be great because now all those free radicals, you're not going to have any creating any damage. Yep. Well, the problem is, that we know that there's been this, this developed, this very, the the mitochondria has a very, um, has a a way to handle this oxidative stress. So there's a few things that happen. Oxidative stress is really critical to the mitochondria's health. So as it creates these free radicals and and it's stressed by things, it actually produces what are called mitochondrial peptides. So it has its own genome, right? That's now Mm -hmm. been activated by this stress, Yep, and it creates these its own peptides that no other structure in your body can produce. So, wow. you know, it's producing these little chains of amino acids, and and there's 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 quite a few being developed now, or that or that we've, we're learning about. But the sort of the three main ones that we kind of have a pretty good knowledge about right now are something called Mott SC. Mm-hmm. There's another one called Humanin. Uh, and, and another one called SS31. And those mm-hmm. are what those are the SS31s and a group of them are called small human like peptides or schleps. those peptides. So once the mitochondria is stressed, it encodes this DNA to say, Oh, you need to go out there and tell the nucleus to do some good stuff. Yep. So these mitochondrial peptides now go outside of the mitochondria and they tell the nucleus to, to, Heal things and get stronger and do better, and then that sends messages back to the mitochondria. So that stress, that oxidative stress, actually—it's just like—and and, you know, what what doesn't what doesn't kill you it makes you stronger, make you right? Stronger,
0: and it actually so is it, a fact in this. It's case. a fact,
1: right? Yeah. It really is a fact in the mitochondria health mm. that these mitochondrial peptides are imperative health. In fact, humanin, which which we when it first developed, actually was looking like a cure for Alzheimer's, and it may be a really. Wow, it may be actually very, very, very helpful here, but very, very helpful in dementias and a lot of other diseases. Mm -hmm. We know that higher levels of human and people who live to be 100 and above have much higher levels of human. And so we know that these mitochondrial peptides, the higher they are, the healthier you are. Wow. We have no mitochondrial stress. If I just am pounding my body with antioxidants all the time, then I'm actually probably doing some damage. So, there, so, so, so we have to interest. focus. <laughs> so counterintuitive, right? So where we have to now again, there I can also overwhelm, right? There's also another response the mitochondria have. It's called the UPR unfolded protein response. So as the mitochondria are stressed, and these. And then there's these damaged proteins that are produced. When when we're under stress, right, we we get damaged to proteins. That's where we're kind of linking that to Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and some of the plaques that form. Some of the
0: tau proteins and things. Yep.
1: Yep. So when the mitochondria is stressed, it actually sends messages out to the nucleus to activate what's called the UPR, the unfolded protein response. Yep. Unfolded protein response actually takes these bad proteins and it straightens them back out and makes them normal. Mm -hmm. Or it says... These guys are so damaged, let's just get rid of that mitochondria and initiates basically autophagy or mitophagy, Yep. eliminates the bad mitochondria that are too damaged. There's too many damaged proteins. We've overwhelmed the unfolded protein response. And now it initiates this response to kill off the bad mitochondria. You Mm -hmm. can see if I'm just now taking a ton of antioxidants, maybe I've blocked this response to get rid of all these bad proteins. Wow. Right? And I'm actually inducing more of these bad abnormal proteins that are going to cause damage.
0: Cause we've talked, I've talked on a couple of episodes, um, with Dr. Alina Seranova about who's a molecular biologist on autophagy. And I think yep. we talked about it too last time. So that's the getting rid of the damaged. Proteins in the stuff. cells or in the mitochondria itself, getting rid of it. And we talked about fasting last time and how how critical fasting is for autophagy and getting rid of these bad proteins and clearing clearing things out. So if we, uh, so you're saying we can overwhelm this uh, protein? What do you call it? Un- unfolding
1: unfolded protein
0: response or the unfolded. UPR? Yeah, we can overwhelm so that a- with too many antioxidants and actually um, stop it. Actually, we stop the the UPR from being activated, so
1: now we don't actually kill out. We don't actually Mm. either fix the damaged proteins or get
0: rid of the cells that are too damaged. Wow. Okay. And so, and this is this two-way communication between the mitochondria and the DNA, the the nucleus of the cell, the nuclear DNA, all within the you know, if we picture a big, nice, fat, round cell, and inside you've got thousands of mitochondria per cell. Right. 2,500 per cell. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And you've got the, the actual nucleus, which is that nice double helix that you see in in the graphs. Right. Where, yeah, where all the DNA is. Where the DNA, your code for life is. Right. And these are talking backwards and forwards to each other to keep the health of the cell good. And then, when right. we do autophagy or mitophagy, we're getting rid of the damaged parts of the proteins that have been damaged through. Is this through? So, the damage that occurs in the cells is happening because of DNA breaks and what are uh, toxins well, or, going or in these, and things like that? Right, exactly. These, these reactive oxygen
1: species that, you know, they're starting to damage the DNA too much inside the mitochondria and creating abnormal proteins, right? So, now we've created these dysfunctional proteins that are going to do damage. So, the yep. body tries to get rid of them. And, and there's no, it's not I'm not going to say there's no place for antioxidants, right? Yeah. But what you have to be careful of is sort of cycling through phases where you're off of your antioxidants and maybe inducing more autophagy, right? Mm-hmm. So we now want a little more oxidative stress to induce this healing response to give the cell some stress. Yeah. And then maybe going on antioxidants for a little while to make sure that we don't ever have too many.
0: Yeah. And but if you've got a lot of antioxidants, ha- oh, sorry, oxidative stress, because maybe you're exercising a heck of a lot or you've had an infection or you've got something other, a uh, high stress, you eat like and, crap or you're yeah, fat or you yeah, like, then you might need extra antioxidants and just to support the baseline of, of, you know your functional health but even those people right n- need them off and on they should
1: not be constantly taking no, 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 no. Cycle- they should do phases right they should cycle it you know and i'm i'm just a big advocate with diet i'm with exercise with everything everything's done cyclically because we want to go through phases all the time where we're getting rid of bad stuff and then regrowing and getting rid of bad stuff and regrowing right wow. yeah it's just like cleaning your house yep. you, you got to get rid of all the crap but then you're gonna you know Bring the new groceries cluttered in. back. Yeah, right. Things <laughs> get cluttered again. And then you got to go clean it all out again and things get cluttered again. Yeah, I mean, in the best of worlds, the clutter wouldn't happen, but it does, right? Even, even the most pristine non hoarder person, there's still clutter that happens and you still have to do your spring cleanouts. And that's what, you know, so I like to think about the body in the same way, you know, going through these spring cleanouts where, you know, go through a big autophagy phase where you're fasting, we're using high dose spermidine, where you're using things that will help to really clear out all the bad cells, all these damage mitochondria that are producing too many reactive oxygen species, right? Mm-hmm. And then going through growth phases where, where I'm now, maybe I'm inducing a little bit more oxidative stress. I'm exercising harder. I'm lifting more weights. I'm running more, right? I'm inducing more oxidative stress. Maybe I'm eating more calories during that time. Now there's more oxidative stress. The cells a little bit stressed, but that actually initiates some growth and some healing, mm-hmm. right? And then I can do the same thing over and over again. Wow. But there's some really interesting new research, Lisa. When you kind of look at, okay, well, how does this all make sense? So it's probably going to come down more to this, this, it's what's called the MPTP or mitochondrial permeability transition pore. And what they've now found is that that's probably where we need to focus is this little pore that is letting stuff in back and forth through the mitochondria. Yep. So the right amount of things get through. So we know is this little pore opens and closes. Yep. As we're in worse health or older, it stays open longer, allowing more bad things to go in and out. So it's designed to open periodically, close periodically. So for brief periods. So what a lot of focus now is on anti-aging and mitochondrial health is focusing a little bit on this mitochondrial transition pore. And, you know, and, and in fact, there, there's there's a really cool study that just came out where they're actually taking out these mitochondria and actually actually changing the pore structure for treating cancer. So they can actually make the pores in these cancer cells more permeable, so they can get drugs get into the, the cancer drug cells are, with wow. a little nanobot that's poking holes in the in the mitochondria. But on our own basis, what we really would rather do is keep these little mitochondrial transition pores closed most of the time, let them open periodically. So there's some there's there's. Wow. Um, There's some interesting things that do that. Melatonin does that. Oh. So higher dose melatonin seems to work primarily on this pore to actually regulate keeping it closed more often. Uh huh. So spermidine—that's one way spermidine induces cellular or mitochondrial biogenesis—is by restoring this pore structure. Yeah,
0: and we're big into. I'm into spermidine. I've just got my first um, shipment. Yeah. I'm working on getting it uh, you know—getting that down here, guys. Uh, still a work in yeah, progress. Yeah, spermidine
1: is kind of amazing. Uh, I mean, yeah. because it really is so good for for mitophagy, getting rid of bad mitochondria, but also mitochondrial biogenesis. Probably because it does focus a little bit more on this pore. Yeah, Another so biogenesis makes... Making- Making, Making more mitochondria, right? Yep. Right. More make make more mitochondria. We need more mitochondria. Um, the other thing, interesting. I don't know how many of how you or your listeners have 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 looked at like things like minocycline, right? Antibiotic. We always think antibiotics are bad. They're bad, yep. bad for our yeah. health. Well, interestingly, minocycline and doxycycline. And minocycline is a little bit better, probably. Actually, has a very nice anti-aging effect, used periodically, mm. to actually close off these pores. And let the cell, this cell kind of develop and grow more. The mitochondria grow more. So minocycline has a really distinct effect on the mitochondrial transition pore as well, wow. or this permeability pore. So there are some simple things you, that you can use, and I like. And it doesn't an wipe aging, out aging. all
0: your your good um, you know microbes mm-hmm. and stuff when you take that. Oh,
1: You know, definitely antibiotics have the downside, right, of changing the gut microbiome. And we know that there's downsides to that, which is why you're not going to stay on minocycline all the time. But like anything, it appears to have some very significant benefits in our cell health. So by doing that maybe twice a year, doing like a 10-day course of minocycline, Mm -hmm. you can actually restore cell health. Now, after that, do you have to really work on gut health? probably yeah. depends on how bad your gut is. Um, you know, so if my gut's super healthy, it's probably going to regenerate, do fine, right? Otherwise, and, and what I have and, uh, a lot, and, and I know you're really interested in, in, in some of this gut microbiome stuff. Yep. Because there's actually going to be a really, you're going to see a really big connection coming up here soon between the gut microbiome and mitochondria even. But we know the gut microbiome is most affected by by butyrate. So yeah, butyrate, yes. Yeah. yeah. So tributyrate. If I have my right, so using tributyrate, which is a sort of a pre butyrate that can turn to butyrate in your intestine. So if I have somebody on an antibiotic, do I throw do I say I'm just mix. gonna throw probiotics into the mix? Well, no, because the probiotics aren't gonna survive. So what you have to do is first throw butyrate into the mix. Remember what the good bacteria in our gut do. So we eat fiber. You yep. have the anaerobic bacteria, turn that fiber into butyrate. Mm-hmm. Butyrate has all these far reaching effects. Number one, it's imperative for the colonocyte, the colon cells to be yep. healthy. That's what, they, that's what they use for energy is butyrate. So they're different from your other cells. They use butyrate for energy. So when they use butyrate for energy, I have these nice healthy colonocytes. They create a nice anaerobic environment where my anaerobes can thrive and mm-hmm. they can make more butyrate and they have this nice cycle. But butyrate has some really interesting effects. There was a great study for like your distance runners and using butyrate to increase performance. Oh, wow. Because higher levels of gut butyrate also seemed to help the cell, the mitochondria, and actually produce, you actually were able to use the butyrate for fatty acid oxidation and actually improve aerobic metabolism by having higher levels of butyrate. There was a great study for gut runners. Was it like and, um, yeah.
0: athletes with keto? And, and, um, yeah. Oh, so because so, butyrate the, is butyrate, like, isn't butter got butyrate in it? Or am I, isn't it, it is it, it what have butyrate butter, you know, like,
1: um, oh, butter. Yeah. Oh. So butter does have butyrate in it. Yes. Yep. So you can you can increase butyrate by eating a whole lot of butter. You um, be so your your medium chain trig- triglycerides, those short chain fatty acids, do have butyric acid in them. The problem with when you eat butyric acid, when you eat butyrate, it doesn't really reach this, the, the 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 lower oh, intestine very well. Okay. And so even though it has some benefits, probably some other places, you really have to get the gut bacteria. And so the only way to really get butyrate to the in, the lower intestine is either to take a a prebutyrate form which is I like tributyrins, one that has Probably the most research are. behind it or to use it rectally so that's yeah. you, the other thing you can do is use it rectally
0: okay um, and that gets direct into the colon and then can get the butyrate yeah. to, the, but, to the cells there
1: yeah and and the, this actually has a genetic do you remember your pgc alpha yep. gene so when you get higher levels of gut butyrate, you actually upregulate PGC-alpha, and that's one of the things that improves aerobic endurance in your long-distance athletes. Wow! So you can actually, they did a study with butyrate on improving endurance in, in sort of the, your distance runners, your higher-level endurance athletes, and it's, it's significant improvements also in racehorses. Same thing. Wow. Um, so, so butyrate does affect mitochondria in other places, including skeletal muscle and Brown fat, so mm-hmm. there is this big connection that we're just learning about between the gut microbiome and mitochondria. So if I'm going to put somebody on cycling I'm going to also make sure I have them on tributyrin, so I'm keeping that nice anaerobic metabolism going. I'm making sure I'm getting butyrate to my cells. Now I've repaired the mitochondria. I've given them another source to to work better, and yep. I'm going to have overall better endurance, better health, better aerobic metabolism, better VO2 max.
0: Yeah! Wow, that's just crazy. So, so butyrate. Um, but if we're just taking butyric acid or in through butter or that type of thing, brother's just arrived in the background. <laughs> it's all right, hey, Mitch. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> He's all good. Um, uh, podcast life. Um, at least the cat's not running up from down as well. Um, so, butyric acid. When I take it in the form of, say, medium-chain triglycerides or butter and stuff, it's not going to help my colonocytes and my colon, but it can still get through to the uh, mitochondria and help with yeah. the mitochondria. The
1: benefits, that does, I mean, there's significant benefits to it, but yes. you really want to replenish the, buty- the butyrate yeah. in the lower intestine where you really need that you know, for, for overall health. Um, it, you, you really have to either do it rectally or take it as a probutyrate, a prebutyrate form. And, and tributyrate, and I think, is the most recent you behind it. Tributyrate. tributyrate
0: yeah. I'll put that in the, in the links. It, what the heck how it, do you it's spell Interesting. That? My patients who
1: have the worst, who are the sickest, like I take tributyrate. I have no problems with it at all. I'm fine. I feel good. Most people, but if you're sick or not well or have a bad gut and you take it, you'll feel pretty miserable because it, it, you, you actually can't, turn it into the butyrate very well, and it actually causes a lot of GI distress. Oh. So some of those really sick people, the only way to replenish butyrate first is to do a rectal suppository. Um, so you can, you can, you you can, can get actually those? buy rectal suppositories of, of, of butyrate, right? You, you, you do like a high dose, like two grams of a rectal suppository of butyrate, replenish the butyrate, then you throw like a sporebiotic or probiotic in. Now I've created this nice anaerobic environment. I've replaced the good bacteria. Now actually they do fine. As a maintenance with the tributyrin now. Now that I've restored the gut health, um, wow. so so when your people who are not well, and if it, I, I'll great tell great. you if any of your patients or your 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 people you talk to, your clients you talk to, you, you tell them take tributerin, and they get they're like, oh, I'm nauseous, I can't take it, it gave me diarrhea, blah blah. blah it's because they have a bad gut, and so you've got to work. Mm. You, you, you so basically have to tell so them, listen, no, right. Yeah, so, so it, it tells you right. That you, that you need to replenish the butyrate, and
0: again, the only way to do it is rectally. Which can kind of you sucks, buy but... that as a consumer without a doctor um, who's into all this? So I
1: know. That, so um, you know, <laughs> we we have a compounded a lot, but there is a company, uh, and I don't know here in the U.S. that's called MitoZen uh-huh. um, that does make a probutyrate. It's a it's a suppository. It's a two weeks two week course yep. of a, a high dose butyrate, and it actually has it's pretty cool. It has a spore biotic mixed in. Oh, wow. Um, and so I use that product a lot. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's on the price side, like all this stuff. is uh, unfortunately. I really, find, <laughs> I really find like a two-week course of it. People do pretty well. All you have to do is two weeks of it, and then you can get them into the oral, much less expensive form. The Warning, yeah. the, the, the rectal butyrate smells bad. <laughs> Does um, it? One of my patients is like, oh, my dogs are following me everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, not
0: good but, but hey if it, it fixes the look, big like other people
1: die, I, like, I, I haven't noticed like you know other people when you're doing it, I don't think other people can smell it on you but you can you can kind of yeah. smell when you do it so doesn't smell. yeah and even yeah. the tributyrin, some people don't like the smell of it. I don't mind the smell of that, but some people say they don't like the smell of that either.
0: Okay, and the um, tributyrin, so if you're not really sick, so if you've got something like Crohn's disease and, or IBS or those, something, they need people probably. want to do the rectal,
1: and they do amazing. I will tell oh, you Lisa, wow. they do amazing. There's a big study that's just coming out with Crohn's being a mitochondrial disorder too. So it's yeah. a gut mitochondrial disorder. Mm. Um, but IBS, your SIBO patients, your, you put them on the rectal butyrate, Two weeks of that they do absolutely amazing wow honestly it's it's incredible how well they do and a lot of illnesses I mean it's it's been a, our go-to for a whole lot of different disorders and it's amazing how well it works as you're learning the gut is everything and now we're learning mm-hmm. it may even be imperative to the mitochondria um you know so
0: how does it connect with so. the mitochondria so that piece there i've sort of like haven't quite got in my head how does you know like we like you said mitochondria are the basis of health because they are the ones that are producing the energy for the cell they're talking to the nucleus they're causing this cascade of different events in the cell um they're actually producing our atp which is our energy so if you look at things like say as you get older your egfr goes down you know your function Mm -hmm. of your kidneys in other words um starts to deteriorate and this is as you know as an ultra endurance athlete who smashed the crap out of my kidneys with rhabdomyelosis (laughs) a hundred times um i've had real battles getting my egfr back up and managed it to to uh, quite a good degree but it's still a problem and as as we get older we sort of lose about one percent a year they say of kidney function um how so that so so that is just a another example of it's actually the mitochondria the in this case in the kidney cells that are not able right. to do their energy production to do what the kidney cells should be doing so how can we you know reverse that trend get our kidneys working in this case or our brain in another case or our heart cells all of these areas are affected by our mitochondrial function, um, so ha- and how does that then connect to the gut situation? So, so it connects to the butyrate
1: because what butyrate does, and at the mitochondrial level, is it increases PGC one alpha mm-hmm. and AMPK, and so yeah. oh, you're okay. you're inducing on a genetic basis a better oxidative capacity, right? So oh. so you're restoring the oxidative capacity to the cell, and the mitochondria are healthier. And so it's really working, the and short-chain fatty acids are really working on a genetic level, probably primarily that PGC1-alpha. I think we'll probably find more and more because a lot of this is very new, mm. but it looks like that PGC1-alpha is where it's having this, a, a very a distinct effect on mitochondria. Um, and then the AMPK, I think, ACC pathway. So. So basically, I think if you think about it, probably from your, you know, your training and everything, think about it as an epigenetic influence, changing genetic output. Right. So that's probably the way the short-term fatty acids are working in in terms of mitochondrial health. I think there's going to be more to that story. You know, when you, you're right, kidney disease, brain disease, everything comes down to we have to have mitochondrial health. Yeah. So. Exactly. What we're doing. So first, have a healthy gut. Let's replace the butyrate because we know that that's important for, for those pathways. Then what we have to do is go through phases where we really induce mitophagy. That's where your fasting and your spermidine come in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got, to, we've got to basically induce, get rid of all the bad mitochondria. So that's going to induce mitophagy, right? So get rid of all the bad stuff. And then we want to do more of a buildup phase. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll have patients go through, depending on different courses, six, 12 weeks of really kind of more time, food restrictions and using spermidine at a higher dose. And I'll get them sort of clean slate, right? Now I want to regrow. And that's where I want to actually regrow. And so I'm going to have them now, you know, get a little bit less out of, um, you know, eat a little bit more, a little less calorie deficit. I want to create a little bit of oxidative stress because now I'm going to induce those. Human-like peptides, those mitochondrial peptides, Mm -hmm. ModSC, SS31, the small human-like peptides, human in itself. So we know that those are so imperative for aging Mm -hmm. and that they, when those peptides are released, they induce your nucleus to have a healthier genome. So now I'm going to have everything else be healthier. And nucleus is going to send messages back to the mitochondria. Mitochondria is going to be healthy, but then that's going to get overwhelmed after a while. So then we go back into our cleanup phase, you know. Um, so, so when you think of things that way, always that sort of breakdown, cleanup, breakdown, cleanup. It's also kind of an easier way to live, right? It's really yeah. hard to always live in this super restricted capacity. That's right. Um, yeah, you know, especially it, with calorie and, restriction you know, and things. Right, like, with caloric restriction and right eating very, you know, low calories. And, yeah, you know, and and it it makes you and, miserable too. And that's right. And, and so, so when you can tell, when you tell people, listen. I want you to do this for 12 weeks and then we're going to let you kind of, you know, have a little, I'm not going to tell them to go eat chocolate cake, but right. you know, we're going to be able to, to you know, do a little bit more and go through growth phases and people feel better and they look better and they have more muscle mass. And if you're always in that, you know, that, that AMPK state, right. That, that, that breakdown, you know, not really breakdown state, but that more, um, more catabolic you know, longevity so. state, more catabolic state, more yeah. long, which is good for longevity. Right. But when you look at those people, they don't always look so healthy. You know, yeah, I'll look at some of those people and you are be like, hmm. I mean, they, yeah. they, sometimes they, they don't have much, much muscle mass. Their hair is thinner. They've, you know, so we do want to go through these phases where we allow the body to kind of grow a little bit, right? Especially if you want some muscle. And we know that muscle is imperative to health. And then, and then I think where the, the sort of the long term, now, now you've got the mitochondria in this good homeostatic balance state where I've gotten it, you know, but how do I keep that reactive oxygen species as low as possible that 's going to be where you look at that that mitochondrial transitional pore where how do I keep that balanced and I think that 's where maybe a lower dose of spermidine every day, like one or two tablets every day of spermidine, mm-hmm. but
0: I love melatonin for that purpose it's yeah super cheap. I wanted to come back you know? to melatonin yeah can, so i I understood like you know like melatonin. I was a little bit hesitant to take melatonin because, uh, you know, it can up, it can change you know, like it like in the fixture of circadian rhythms and so on. But you've but after listening to you a couple of times talking about melatonin, why is that not a problem then? You know, or, or do we take it at nighttime and and how, what sort of dosages That's do we need? to Interesting. Take? I mean, we will dose. So it,
1: um, for for my osteoarthritis patients who have, for instance, high levels, most of your patients who have diffuse arthritis or degenerative discs have very high levels of a cytokine called interleukin one beta. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, Interleukin one beta is very damaged in mitochondria. So that's probably one of the reasons you get cell death and and your chondrocytes all die off. So one of the things we know blocks interleukin one beta is higher dose melatonin. We also Mm -hmm. know that that's very anti-cancer, right? Probably for the same reason it's creating this, this um, balance, this homeostatic reaction in the mitochondria. So, so I actually like in those patients, high dose melatonin. Now high dose melatonin is interesting in that it, it, unlike the, the lower dose melatonin, it sometimes actually has more of a stimulating effect, but oh. it actually does help restore your own circadian balance at a higher dose. I have a lot of people who take it in the morning because if they take it at night, they actually are stimulated by it. If they take it in the morning, they're sleepy at bedtime and they sleep through the night. Wow, that's funny. So, so it so seems funny. to be working so with your weird. own, your sort of your suprachiasmatic nucleus and it seems yeah. to be working at a brain level to kind of balance you back out.
0: So, what um, sort of level is like you know, like I'm at the moment, just me personally, anecdotally, I'm taking a five milligram dose of melatonin at night time for for sleeping to optimise my sleep. Um, yeah. And is that a is that a low dose? Is that a is that a high? You know, what is well, a high dose? Well, so a high dose is like twenty milligrams. I mean, okay, we we use high
1: high doses in our people who who have um, who have osteoarthritis primarily, cancer. We use high dose melatonin, especially our breast cancer patients. We'll use high dose melatonin, so we'll use we'll use that you know um, as a treatment adjunct, adjunct. Not always. You really have to kind of work with people. There's people who do great taking it at night. Yep. Um, one of my sons does great. Takes 20 milligrams of melatonin at night. Sleeps well through the night. Wakes up at, you know early in the morning. Um, me, I actually have to take it in the morning. If I take it at night, I'm wide awake all night. But if I take it in the morning, wow. I have a really nice, good sleep with good deep sleep on my aura ring. You know, I get a good wow. you know hour and a half of deep sleep. So it seems very different in different people and how it's interacting. And I'm sure that has to do a lot with kind of genetic, what are your clock genes? What are yeah, your genes yeah, yeah. You know? So, you know, so I think that that probably has a little bit of a genetic influence. And then I do have people who just don't, who don't tolerate, they only tolerate very low dose, um, you know, but we're finding more and more, we used to sort of be very cautious with, Oh, you don't really want to take more than three to five milligrams of melatonin. Yeah. I'm really finding that the higher doses seem to have a very advantageous effects Without putting your body clock out, and you're super right, right, and actually potentially really benefiting your 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 body clock, your circadian rhythm, which is you know critically important. And I think that that's right now, that's one of the sort of easy things we can do that we know is going to be working. And as I said, I think what it's going to come down to when we look at this mitochondria, it's not going to be trying to figure out, oh, what is my perfect dose of antioxidants? It's going to be figuring out how do I get that mitochondria with the pores, letting the good stuff in, letting the bad stuff out in, yeah. in, at, in the right sequence. Because we we know that we know that for instance cancer cells that that pore stays open all the time that that wow. that there's you know that there's there's this very imbalance in this other mitochondria are really getting all this stuff all the time so so we know that that's a huge factor to health is trying to restore this normal pore I think that we're there's um, mm, there's a drug that's coming out I can't remember the name of it that mm, yeah yeah can't remember the name of it but yeah. um, it's it, it it that that will probably be actually a really if we can get it will be actually really and think it's actually coming out for the treatment of als um but it, but that looks like it might be really helpful for that poor they, they're shutting pour, their that, poor yeah i mean that will that, that be something we can get i don't know but we'll find more things i do like i do think like i said i think minocycline is a really nice thing to go to like twice a year i'll use a 10 a day minocycline course really benign keep tribe while you're on it. You how know, do you and spell it?
0: m-i-m-i-m-i M-I-
1: M-I, M-I, So minocycline M-I-N-O-C-Y-C-L-I-N-E. Super okay. cheap antibiotic. I mean it's right. like a ten dollar antibiotic, right? Wow. Um and that has but it has really, you know, and it's been looked at in the anti-aging field um for a while, but we kind of weren't so clear of its effect on the mitochondria well now we actually have found it's actually working on this on pore this to actually balance out and keep the pore closed more which is what you really want when we're young the pore is not open as much as it does when we're old there's less bad stuff coming through the mitochondria so, so this is
0: getting um, porous isn't it so basically the membrane is getting porous and then right, so, right exactly
1: and that's probably yeah. where where like some of the mitochondrial peptides like ss31 which restores yeah. the cardiolipin membrane which helps that that endoplasmic reticulum inside the mitochondria to be healthy so that's Some, probably where peptides like that are so beneficial.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's you know there's lots of um you know we can't get these fancy peptides unfortunately that easily. But cardiolipin right. is an is an enzyme that is a very important enzyme for it's a stabilizing enzyme, isn't it? So right, we want more membrane. of this, and this is what one of these peptides is is right. doing. And so but hopefully good- there's going to be more research around that and more drugs even coming out around that. <clears throat> and remember, yeah. And
1: remember that, um, you know, one of the ways we induce some of these these mitochondrial peptides is exercise, right? Yep.
0: Like <laughs> it always F- comes C, down to that. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. Mod-SC. And because exercise is, is a little bit of a stress to our body, right? And yep. so it induces the mitochondria to produce some of these mitochondrial peptides. Mm-hmm. Mod-SC, which is kind of considered exercise in a bottle because you can actually give at least mice, you can give them MOT SC, this, this, wow. this, basically this mitochondrial peptide, and it acts just like exercise. Exercise mimetic, yeah. a medic. Bring yeah. that on. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. So it's very, you know, it's very cool. Of course, it's very expensive and, you know, but it's probably cheaper to go exercise. But, um, <laughs> But it you know, it it's a nice thing to offer people who can't exercise, yeah. right? For some reason. That, you know, like you'll have people they who have an injury or, or elderly people who are just so sarcopenic and trying to get them to do anything until you build a little bit of muscle is almost impossible. So so things like that are going to be really nice in that in, in that realm is you know, peptides like Mod SC. Um there's a whole company um here that is actually just working on these mitochondrial peptides as as drugs for treating things like this. Um wow. but right now we know that one of the best ways to produce mod SC is you exercise. It stimulates your mitochondria to be a little stressed. The mitochondria produce more mod S C. helps with glucose metabolism, it helps with uh, fat loss, it helps with, you know, turning white fat into brown fat and helps with kind of overall aerobic metabolism.
0: So wow. Um, so what is um just briefly on that, what is white fat versus brown adipose tissue, you know, brown fat? And why is so brown, brown fat good and metabolically active and
1: Yeah, so, you know, white fat's what you know that that fat we get as we get older, and you know it's it's really doing nothing beneficial nothing to good. us. Brown fat's what little kids have, right so you know, brown fats when you look at babies or you look at little kids and they have that little chubbiness, well, that's usually brown fat. that's why you know people always made fun of me because i'm I'm, I'm always cold, and so I probably way overdress my kids, but little kids don't get nearly as cold. We don't have to like have them quite so bundled up as we do because they're they're really covered with brown fat, which is metabolically active that's what it was designed for so that when you're born ah. you' you have this brown fat, you can stay warm I mean. Wow. You know, we, we were meant for survival, right? So these babies who are born, they need something to keep them, you know, so they're when you were a caveman and you were just laying there in the cave, you could survive. So brown fat is metabolically active. It's helping for warmth and heat production. It's actually burning calories. White fat's what we get as we get older and we just eat too much and we sit around too much and all it does is coat our organs and do nothing beneficial. Hmm. So brown fat actually, if you can convert white adipose to brown adipose, so you can turn it into metabolically active tissue then you're actually going to be able to burn more calories and and you'll be more you'll be more metabolically fat. active you know can um, you yes, we want brown fat you can, can convert white fat to brown fat wow so you can convert white fat to brown fat um you know and that probably does come down to to and that's one of the things that that when you looked at um at butyrate yeah it was one of the places that butyrate actually worked was actually helping to convert more to brown fat and white fat so there was a big there's a big putting people on butyrate can really help with fat loss too wow. so using butyrate in your overweight people who are mm. all have metabolic their
0: guts are horrible Yeah, yeah, yeah. butyrate
1: in those patients can really help with fat loss
0: I just had um, doc, uh, Dr. Austin Perlmutter on you know probably David yeah. Perlmutter on Dr. Austin Yeah, and he was talking about um, the white fat cells especially the visceral fat cells having a bit not a consciousness but they have an um, ulterior motive to keep themselves alive <laughs> so they send yeah. out all these you know make you hungrier make send out yeah. inflammatory yeah, uh, compounds and so on to to make sure that they stay alive they end up killing the host in the end if, uh, a bit like yeah. a cancer cell they'll, they'll ha- they have their own agenda independent of what was actually healthy for your body so they don't want you to do fasting they don't want you to do any of these things because exactly. they're not going to get knocked they off <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they are. I mean fat is metabolically active, too. And remember, it converts, you know, fat cells have they convert testosterone to estrogen. So men who are fatter will start converting oh, all their testosterone into estrogen. So it's one of the places wow. that 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 we have you know aromatase is inside fat cells that's why oh that's why God. fat women tend see. to have bigger breasts and you know um oh. is is that fat cells actually are converting and converting mostly into this bad estrogen so even your testosterone so if and you put somebody who's fat and you can put them on testosterone a lot of it will just convert into estrogen wow so
0: that's so. independent of your innate genetic pathway for your hormones like yeah, you know, yeah, like your the cells themselves then, have aromatase. Fat cells have aromatase in them. Oh wow, um, that's I didn't realize that. And um, I, I mean, I, I thought your genetic pathway was your genetic pathway, and you'll be converting your testosterone to estrogens more if you have that genetic predisposition. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly genetics there, but yeah, fat. But, is but big, also, that's why, fat. you know,
1: fat guys have breasts, right? You look at yeah, them; they yeah. have little breasts because they're very estrogenic. And so, if you try and get, you, if you take you know, some of your overweight males. And and you put them on testosterone without you know using things to block estrogen or getting rid of fat first, then you you, you just keep making more. You're making estrogen, more, more making it
0: worse. So okay, so it's not just to do with your genetic pathway, but also to do with how much fat tissue yeah. you have. And the more fat tissue, the more estrogenized you'll be that's and then you okay so that's why you know because you see a lot of young people nowadays who are thinking you know probably growing up with less quality food than what we grew up with in our generation um seem to be more estrogenized and have more yeah. of these issues and the the, the the actual body shape the phenotype the way it's expressed right. is just more estrogenized than past generations um, and that yeah, would be, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've,
1: we've seeing you know, a lot of 20 year olds who come in yep. who have high estrogen levels, low testosterone levels, you know, I think drugs has to do with that too. I mean, here in the UA, you know, in Colorado, we have legal marijuana, you know, which is, is unfortunately not very good for testosterone. Oh, wow. Um, so that, you oh, know, that either. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <that> yeah.
1: <laughs> marijuana is not good. Yeah. For, so it's <laughs> testosterone <laughs> Yeah. It's not good for testosterone levels at all. Um, and, <gasps> And and then our food, right? You know, bisphosphonates, all these things that are estrogenic yeah, yeah. in our BPAs. foods, and so we're seeing this. You know, these really young guys with testosterone levels that that you know are god awful, and um, and
0: estrogen levels higher than their and mothers, and estrogen levels that are
1: high, right? Yeah,
0: you know? yeah, yeah. Well, I just did my point. estrogen levels, and my, um, um, you know, I know mine are mine are low because I'm going through menopause, and 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 so on. Um, and you're tiny. And <laughs> yeah, I got no fat, <laughs> not a lot of fat on there. Um, and I was looking at my husband's and I was thinking, ooh yours is about the same yeah. spot <laughs> it's not good he says
1: Tammy you do start but, you start to see that right you start to see that these men have these it, older it men look like women at switch shifts yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. and they you know and they start they start taking on more female build right they get kind of yeah. bigger breasts and bigger bellies and they start getting this more female build to them yeah um, I mean, and I've had you know, um, on lots
0: of things so that it's not um, and it's you know right. going the other way and there's testosterone is good and right. so on but yeah that is what you see in older in older men yeah. is that tendency to, to go so, and yet it's really, really hard <laughs> to get testosterone replacement therapy or hormone replacement therapy for men or, or for, well, for women, a uh, little bit easier. They'd seen, you know, the doctors seem to That's be more willing. Yeah, more willing to give it to women, the, well, at least the uh, integrated medical fraternity for bioidentical hormone replacement. And, uh, you know, it's so easy. For it kind of kills
1: me because... Um, I, I give this, we're kind of putting together this course called what to fix first to kind of help people, you know, understand yeah. what in this journey of getting healthy, what do I do? Cause I'm overwhelmed. And I, as I was putting it together, I was like, okay, well, you start with exercise. And then I said, no, actually you, you kind of have to start with hormones because if I take somebody who has no testosterone and, you know, no hormones, you know, they've no progesterone, so they can't sleep. They have no testosterone. This is both men and women. So, you know, they, and their joints hurt because there's progesterone receptors on joints. They have no testosterone, so trying to get them to go to the gym and you know is impossible. So, so for me to say follow a good diet, do exercise without replacing hormones is is really kind of I and mean, it's not right, right? I mean, I, so as I was putting together to talk, I said you know actually. The first hormones thing we should first. do is get these people hormones stabilized because then I'm going to be able to motivate them. Now their their testosterone levels are good. They feel more motivated. They, they're going to build muscle. They're going to lose fat. They're going to feel like they can actually exercise. You know, I'm going to give them progesterone. They can sleep, and and that starts young. And so to, to listen to you know your story of people not being able to get access to these things and just you know is is almost criminal in my mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to just say you know well just eat better and go exercise. Well if you've you got nothing right, you, know, or right. You're you're not you, you
0: can't, can't. You can't.
1: Yeah, you can't, right? It, 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 you can't get out of bed, much less go to the gym.
0: And know? I know, like in my life, you know, when I was doing like ultra marathon running and doing absolutely ridiculous amounts of training, I got fatter because of my hormones mm-hmm. were going out of whack and my adrenals were up, you know, yeah, but, yeah, totally and over. And was, yeah, yeah, and fluid retention and 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 so on. And so it's so counterintuitive. Now I train still hard, but it's short and I'm not knocking the crap out of my hormones and I'm on hormone replacement therapy. Um, and, and I can get leaner on a 10th of what I was doing. So it's not all about exercise. You know, because no, right, that was exactly. the case. I should have been skinny before, and I shouldn't be so now. You know, yeah, it's not. It's not. You know, I mean, obviously,
1: exercise is critical, but not. You don't have to be doing extreme exercise. You know, yep. what I mean, you know, one. You know, one thing we're really trying to get across is just you know sensible stuff. We just did a, a thing. You know, about about just taking a walk after dinner right yeah yeah it like, was a great marked metabolic control of taking a walk after dinner. nobody does it Postprandially, you know, it's yeah. like you know but it, it makes a huge difference in fat storage you know and so so there's such simple things you can do you know <laughs> yeah. i mean you know, we always talk about all these big you know cool things and, and peptides that, that are amazing mm. yeah peptides and hyperbaric and all that cool stuff but there's some really simple things that are cost nothing
0: so let's talk about that briefly because you know the um uh blood sugar levels we're talking about in this case so regulating your blood sugar is absolutely crucial and nobody like when i talk to the average person around me and clients and so on that i'm working with none of them have even ever taken their blood sugar once you know like or maybe the doctor's done it once every you know year um and and they don't understand the, and this is what, you know, I think constant glucose monitors, I mean, I want to get one. Yeah. I haven't got one yet. Yeah, me too. Um, Crazy, but they are cool. Exactly, yeah. Again, it's always a matter of where do I put my resources yeah. first. <laughs> <laughs> um, constant glucose monitors give you that feedback of where your blood sugars are, what's causing them to go up, and it's not just food, by the way. It can be your emotions and your, your stress right. levels and so right. on. and Please. Yeah, Like I've been taking, I, you know, prick my finger 10 times a day just to see where I'm at and to to keep an eye on it. Um, funny story. I thought I was going to, I was becoming diabetic, right? Because I was getting up in the morning and my blood sugar levels were very high. And I was like, what the hell, you know, I'm really slim. I'm like, uh, what's right. going on? And I've been through a very stressful time and I thought maybe that's it. Um, I've been doing in the morning, cold showers and then Wim Hof sort of um, <laughs> tumor yeah, <maybe> breathing <laughs> <laughs> I was seeing yeah. my blood gross, sugar right? levels up. <laughs> which is fine yeah. for that short period. Right, for
1: that Short period is fine, right? And again, the, the, those are those little stressors. I mean, exactly what we're talking about with the mitochondria, right? That's one of the that's one of the things that causes mitochondrial biogenesis is that that cold shower for the same reason. That little bit of stress, like I said, what you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And that's what that cold shower, the you know, the cryo does, or you know, just taking that two minute cold shower. Um, yeah. it, it creates that little shock response. The mitochondria like shit. And they yeah. start producing, you know, <laughs> they start producing more mitochondrial peptides, which creates more mitochondrial biogenesis. So you're right. And just like the blood glucose going up, these little temporary stressors are good for us. It's those yeah. big long stressors that that aren't that mm-hmm. aren't mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. so
0: regulating our blood sugar is really important and understanding what does that and i just found out that doing that you know tumor breathing in the morning and stuff does that yeah. and that's fine that's, because that's, that's a controlled. it's a right. controlled stress, and that's for a specific reason and for my cortisol levels to go up in the morning isn't a bad thing because that helps right. clock, get you moving etc etc et um but I did panic thinking that I was heading towards diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I want to see peptide tests because I must have type one because I can't have type two. Uh, you know, um, and it's just a funny story. But when you are measuring these things, you can actually see what things are doing. Yeah. You, know, like you might eat a banana thinking a banana is a healthy food, but it sees your blood sugars right through the roof. And when you know that you're going to avoid bananas. Right. You know? Um, you know, yeah, the CGM. CGMs are,
1: are. I mean, I think they are, they're going to be sort of a critical piece to understand yeah. because, you know, it is hard to figure that out. I mean, yeah. there are things that, like, you know, in certain people you, you can't figure out why their blood sugar is out of control. And, you know, you know, and so you, you know, it could be very, very specific foods or very specific activity or something like that that's doing it. Um, so I do love the CGMs. I wish they weren't so expensive. I wish there was some access to them. You yeah, know, it yeah, was yeah. not so pricey because you end up, you know, again, it's like $400 a month for the CGMs yep. and then, you know, yeah so
0: we can't you can't afford it and so many people who and we could be like this is like for me from a from a you know you know regulatory perspective wouldn't it be great like if we did this prevention stuff yeah (laughs) and then we wouldn't have so many people with diabetes of course diabetes is the entrance (laughs) way to cardiovascular problems and urine yeah disease and heart attacks and all the rest of it this is why blood sugar levels are really really important so one of the things that dr youth did recently was a challenge everybody listening out there on instagram when you've had your 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 evening meal or your big a big meal at lunchtime Yeah, uh, yeah to go for a twenty-minute walk after a ten-minute walk, even, and that will actually slow the release, of you so you won't get that big sugar spike. And um, so I've started instigating that as well. Yeah, um, and then they're so easy,
1: right? And it's really nice and peaceful, and you know, it's like you yeah, know, just just my walk. family. It took everything to drag them out, but but you know, it was actually you know we don't ever you know because of COVID my kids are at home and you know and but we don't talk, we don't see each other. And actually, these little walks at night were such a nice. Thing. Yep. I will say that, you know, like I got them to do it for the week and then we were done. But
0: Yeah, we'll we'll see a summer coming in. these are kids <laughs> but, yeah they'll, they'll do know. what they want but <laughs> there are a couple of other things too that we can do to lower our blood sugar levels what do you think about things like vanadil and uh cinnamon and um chromium and these sorts of things uh that, that can actually lower blood sugar levels as well just to help you I mean, they can work really
1: honestly you know i used i used cinnamon a ton i tell people just yep. to use you liberally you can use them yep. in pills you know um I think chromium works on some people really well and some people not so well. There's probably a bit of a genetic basis or just if you're depleted in it, kind of basis to that. Um, so that can be really helpful for glucose maintenance too. Um, you know, I do think people forget about cinnamon. but Put cinnamon in your coffee. Put cinnamon in your oatmeal. Put you know, you know it. And then I, I just did a little Instagram thing yesterday because there's a very interesting study that came out from American Diabetes Association of eating your protein before your carb. So if you've got a plate with wow broccoli, and a little piece of bread, and a, some grilled chicken. What they did was they took people and they had them for one week eat the the protein first, No, actually they ate the carb first, they ate their salad and their bread first, and then the protein. And then they measured blood glucose and insulin levels at 30, 60, 120 minutes. The next week, they did the opposite. They ate the chicken first, so the protein first, and then the carb. The impact was 40% difference in blood glucose and insulin levels at 120 minutes wow. in the people when just by eating the protein before it the carbs
0: that makes sense, it makes sense
1: protein's right a lot harder to break down and so it's right. right so you start this digestive process and you know yeah so what what's how, you to, like, how we Sorry, well, that's super on. simple, right? So if you're going to yeah. eat some carbs, if you're, you know, if you're eating, and that's, you remember carbs, even your vegetables, that you're going to have a lot less glucose impact and insulin impact simply by eating the protein first and then eating the carb. Or if you want to have something, I mean, what do we do, right? Here in, in the U.S., at least we eat our salad first and then, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then we're eating, eating the bread basket and then we eat our chicken last. Yeah. Switching that around. So even if you're going to have your little bread, your, you know, your, your little ciabatta roll or something, if you eat that after you've finished your protein, and eat that last, there was much less glucose impact.
0: Wow, and then then this is also true for fat and sugar, isn't it? I mean, not that we're advocating, but if you're having... Uh, Coca-Cola or some terrible drink like that versus <laughs> which you shouldn't uh, I'm not no. saying that but it, versus having an ice cream because the fat is in the ice cream it will slow the response of the sugar Close compared the to sugar. Sugar. Yeah, exactly right, Don't do right. So you're actually right,
1: you're better off eating something right, a fatty sugar yeah. load than you
0: are just eating a Coke which is why Coke's and things
1: like that it's so bad for you it's uh, just so bad yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah yeah you know? Yeah. Yeah. So
1: those are um, such easy things
0: right oh yeah, I, I, yeah. oh yeah and I'm never I, I'd sort of um, what about Enzymes, like a lot of people are dealing with um, not having enough betaine, uh, hydrochloric acid, yeah. not enough uh, digestive enzymes from the pancreas, and some of this is genetic and some of this is age-related, um, not breaking their proteins down, and, and so on. Uh, is there a rule of thumb without having you know tests and um, testing for all your pancreatic enzymes and so on? Um, you, you know there's there's some evidence that maybe uh, like the gut,
1: a lot of things start with dysfunction in bile acids, and you know mm-hmm. in fact, one of my friends who's a physician um, or medical practitioner that takes care of a lot of very sick ALS patients. Really has a belief that that things really begin with the dysfunction at the bile level, the, you know, the bile acid level, and that we really do need to focus on that more. And I love betaine, you know, and mm. and I I will in my any of my patients who are sick or have, who have kind of even you know more neuromuscular like weakness things like that or aren't building muscle, I will always focus a little bit on even if you're not testing digestive enzymes, I'll focus on actually having them use a digestive enzyme, so using just a sort of a, something that has proteases and lipases in, and using that with their meals because I do think there's a, a piece of that, that, that um, we are way overlooking in a lot yeah, yeah, of yeah. people. Yeah. There's and little- that may be the start of a whole lot of diseases is at yeah, that yeah, level. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know? That makes sense to me because, you know, like when you look at um, the protein levels, of a lot of people are, you know, not working with a lot of athletes, of course you, you're, you're stressing yourself with a lot of repair and so on. Um, having enough protein Shockingly low in a lot of people, right? Yeah, and you know, al- you know your, or your albumin and, and your globulin uh, right. um, are, are very important for longevity, and it's not always related just to what you've eaten, but right function. But um, having um, optimized protein breakdown so the amino acids so a lot of uh, I think I mentioned this before but I had Dr. David Minkoff on the on the show who's yeah. a really amazing doctor um, yeah. and he has a product called perfect aminos that um, I've got a lot of my athletes on and that just breaks down within 20 minutes into the body into the amino acids so if they've got problems mm. with absorption, they can get they can't digest yeah. the steak very well. They can at least get these perfect aminos in that can get through and do their job specifically within, you know, a twenty minute time period. And oh the recoveries that I've seen from injuries just from, you know, from really, taking yeah. their perfect aminos blend um is is been fantastic. I had a ripped hamstring piriformis injury injury for five years and couldn't, you know, it was oh we'd well, have to have surgery and so on. Yeah. I was on the perfect aminos for a few weeks and it was gone, you know um so this is a big piece because if you're not absorbing your proteins you're right. not going to be repairing a heck of a lot <laughs> <laughs> and i'd be curious to see if how many of those people too
1: if you actually just went back at that butyrate gut microbiome level how much then that would sort of downplay into the i think you, you probably want to tackle oh. both but yeah. i do wonder how many of those people you might you know if you if you get the gut the microbiome healthy again you know and again and you guys are just throwing probiotics in the mix is not gonna work. You've gotta get the the colonocyte healthy. And the only way that to do that is, is to fix butyrate first. Please remember that. Remember nothing else. I see yep. all these people throwing tons of probiotics. I see doctors all the time saying, Oh, just take mm-hmm. a probiotic. You, the good bacteria, the anaerobes can't survive unless there's butyric acid that for the colonocytes to have a nice healthy colon. So you you're you're just throwing things in that aren't gonna survive. So you've got to fix butyrate and then you can throw the probiotics in if you want. But so, but I do wonder how much, if you fixed that, how much the digestive process would correct or, or not. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. i you know, was probably, probably,
0: yeah. It, it, would probably them at least, right. it would make sense. And, you know, with the probiotics, just as a last thing before we wrap up, because I know we have to go, but um, the probiotics, um, they, they can have a histamine response, can't they? Like I've had sort of a couple of clients who have put on probiotics and then they've actually had an adverse reaction to probiotics because their histamine levels have, yeah, what's what's yeah. going on there? In, in the, well, are the spore-based probiotics in that case better?
1: The yeah, the spore-based are a little bit better, but I think you know, I think what you're doing again is if you if you don't have this healthy gut lining, right, and you're you're now throwing a bunch of of bacteria into this, an an immune system. Remember that all oh, your immune system starting the gut serotonin levels are off, mm. everything's off. That anything you put in is going to be being seen as a foreign thing, and you're going to create an immune response or a histamine wow. response, and, but not autoimmune, basically an autoimmune response, just because your body's seeing this stuff right now is a foreign invader, because you don't have any, you know, it's not it's not a normal environment for it yet. So you've got to create an environment for it. So that, you know, now you have this nice, you know, you don't want this, or you want that gut bacteria in the in the gut. So if I have bad colonocytes and it's leaking out of my gut into my bloodstream, it's not where they belong, right?
0: Oh, and they, they can actually in the cause the gut, more tr- So they create trouble. this
1: histamine immune response, right? Oh, wow. So you got to okay. fix the colonocytes. Just think of your colonocytes, You want this nice thick layer of cells. They're all bound together really tight. And the only way you can have healthy colonocytes is to have high butyrate levels, right? Wow. There's a really okay. interesting study that came out that, that people who had normal good butyrate levels actually were more popular. So, you even can, from a pheromone <laughs> perspective, we can sense that those people are healthier. So, you actually have are, are actually liked better if you have higher butyrate levels. Wow. Okay.
0: Another reason to take butyrate, even if it does stink. <laughs> <laughs> so, butyrate either as tributyrin as a pre butyrate yep. uh, or do or it as a rectal. Would be really yep. even better to, for yeah. two weeks if you can afford yeah. that and you can get yeah. that. Um, which I'm going mean, to go. It's a really good way
1: of doing it. It's just people don't like suppositories, but it is a better way, probably, of getting it there initially.
0: Hey, whatever it takes, you know. <laughs> you're going to stick something up your bum, do it. Yeah. <laughs> I do ozone every couple of days. So for me, it's like, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, it doesn't yeah, worry. You're yeah. used to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Dr. have been absolutely amazing again today. Um, this this conversation went in directions I had no idea. And I'm. And
1: yeah, <laughs> that's like, it always happens with us, right, Lisa? We just go here or there, but that's kind of. But that's the cool hard. thing,
0: yeah. That, that, that's really cool thing. And um, people, please go to bli.academy.com uh, or the Boulder Longevity Institute. Uh, you'll also find uh, the direction there, and that's the um, uh, education arm of the Boulder Longevity Institute, and it's free at the moment. So go and hurry up yeah. and get in there, get the mm-hmm. courses, get the information from Doctor U.S. Chairs. really. I mean, I've come, I've I've worked and had on my podcast hundreds of of doctors and scientists uh, you're one of my favorites I have to say because i just learned thank you uh, so so much from the the academy and the work that you're doing and even on your instagram and stuff i just love watching that every oh, day i appreciate
1: so, that thanks lisa <laughs> you know what you're doing because you're you're amazing too i love being on your show
0: thank you right, we'll have you back again and we'll keep we'll okay. keep keep people coming with this great information so thank you very much Dr. Right. stay well bye that's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisa.tarmati.com.